All right, let's get to work here. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Malachi. Uh, By the way, my name is Pastor Ryan. Welcome this morning. Uh, Book of Malachi, page 682, if you're using one of the Bibles we provided. And we're going to read verse 1 of chapter 1. Verse 1 of chapter 1, because last week we read all 42 verses, 42 verses of 1 Samuel 20. So I figured, why not immediately balance the law of averages and read one verse this week, right? Just to you know, make, have a little, a little lighter week here. So Malachi 1.1, 1, 1. the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. Lord, you say about your word, all of it is God-breathed. All of it is breathed out by you and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness to equip for every good work, Lord. So we believe that even about introductory verses, Lord, all of it is useful, Lord. All of it is God-breathed. So we ask that you would use it this morning and use our time together to begin the book of Malachi in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, when you encounter someone, all right, for what will be the last time, or you're seeing, you're hearing from someone for what you think might be the last time for a while, it's common to sort of engage in a little bit of Q&A. You ask people some questions to get some answers out of them, right? To get back some specific information, specific questions to get some specific information. Now, this happens in both sort of formal and informal settings. All right, first the formal, like when a speaker came to your university, if you went to university, or some visiting politician comes to town or comes on island to speak. You're not going to see him for a while, you want to get in some questions that you have. Uh, I was once speaking at a conference for college students, and at the end of our time together, there was this perfect block for Q&A, a perfect block of time for some Q&A. So I gave students a heads up, right, to be thinking of some questions they might want to ask. And they get there and start answering some questions. And some questions were personal, but most questions were related to the topic at hand that we've been speaking about. Uh, But right when it was about to end, uh, one guy gets up and he says, hey, I actually have a few questions. So, all right, all right, if they're short, you know, go ahead, shoot. He said this, is it possible to have a civil war? So I just sort of, all right, thought about it. It's kind of weird, off topic. But I tried to answer as best I could from a Christian biblical point of view. All right, so then he gets to his next question. As he starts to ask his next question, I notice he and some of his buddies are are snickering. And they ask, if one synchronized swimmer drowns, do the rest drown too? (laughs) So at this point, I, I can't help but laugh. I'm realizing, okay. I see where this is going. So I can't help but laugh, but I said, you go ahead and ask the third question. I know there's another one here. So he does, which was this. If you ate pasta and antipasta, would you still be hungry? (laughs) So I tried to answer that from a biblical point of view. And I said, yes, you would be content. But in a formal setting, it can happen in an informal setting as well. Uh, Especially if you are married A, and B, if you know that your wife wants detailed answers. 
I remember I was up in Washington, D.C. About, uh, about a year and a half ago, and Katie wasn't with me. And I sat down to have lunch with a, a mutual friend of ours who, who neither of us ever see, and we rarely heard from, all right? So after this, this time of, of eating, breaking bread together, uh, Katie asked me some questions about my questions. Uh, she said, hey, did you ask if he, if he has a girlfriend? I said, no. Well, did you ask about his, his living situation now? No. Like, did, well, did you ask just about his family, his parents? No. She's like, Ryan, come on. It's like, well, I, I asked him about stuff. Just not that stuff. <laughs> Guys, you know that there are some questions that are apparently better than others. The book of Malachi stands on the precipice of silence. After the book of Malachi, it would be over 400 years before God's people would hear again from the Lord their God. God had been speaking exclusively through his prophets for centuries with words of hope, sometimes with words of rebuke, with words of correction, with words of grace and love, silenced until a strange insect-eating vagabond named John emerges on the scene. So it's appropriate that the last time Israel hears from God, it's a Q&A session, right? They're asking their questions and getting God's answers. So accordingly, the title of a series of messages that we're going to be getting into over the next few months will take us through the book of Malachi. Our questions, God's answers. All right, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a jarring book. I admit that, all right? And some of you are wondering, seriously? Uh, the church is growing. Things are going well. Where are we going to go? The book of Malachi. Great. Wonderful choice. But it is a book I believe God is going to use to challenge and grow us both as a community and individually. So here we go. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to briefly look at sort of the architecture of the book, right? How it's put together, constructed, organized. And we'll also ask the question, hey, preach, why Malachi? Right, why this book? And in between, sandwiched in between, we'll dig into one verse of Malachi. And as I hope you see, it's a verse that really matters. It's a verse that actually matters. So let's go. Architecture of the book. Malachi is organized by questions. Questions amongst God's people. As you'll see, they're, they're the kind of questions that people are too chicken to actually ask out loud, right? But God being God, he knows all of our thoughts, and he hears the whispers and the murmurs. So he goes out of his way to address those questions. Questions like, how have you loved me? Why me? How does what I do offend you, God? Where's the justice? What's the point? These kinds of questions. And so we have all of these questions, a series of questions, and each of these questions are grouped into these sort of four larger disputes. The first dispute in the book of Malachi is over love. The second dispute is over service, all right? Third dispute 
is over the right kinds of relationships. Now, this is starting to sound like your marriage. It's not a coincidence, all right? These kinds of disputes are going on between God and his people. A fourth dispute over what is just, what is fair. These are the four disputes we're going to look at in the book of Malachi. So we're going to move question by question. And along the way, we'll examine three big concepts which are crucial to understanding both Malachi and understanding and knowing the God we worship. Those concepts, we're going to look at God's name. We're going to look at the priest and why that matters for today. And we're going to look at the idea of covenant. All right, so that's what we're going to do along the way. And that gives you an idea, hopefully, of where we're going. So let's start with verse 1, shall we? Which contains, by the way, two of the reasons why we ought to examine this prophetic book. Let's look at it again. It says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Malachi which literally means in Hebrew, my messenger. My messenger. So from the day this man was named, indeed, well before then, Malachi was destined by God to deliver his message at this time, this point in history, for this group of people. He was named for this. It's similar to naming your child Jeeves. Right? If you name your child Jeeves, you have sealed his destiny. <laughs> right? I mean, he has got one destiny ahead of him. He is not going to be a professional athlete. He's not going to be a TV news anchor. Right? He is going to be a butler. All right? If you name him Jeeves, that's what's going to happen. You've sealed his destiny. He, otherwise, he might be the founder of a moderately successful search engine. <laughs> All right, that's also possible. All right? So, God graciously bore in this name because he had a message to deliver through him. What is the message? Specifically, we're told it's an oracle. It's an oracle. Now, this idea of oracle, biblically, should not strike up the image of a grandmotherly figure from the Matrix, right? Who bakes cookies and dispenses timely wisdom with a southern twang, right? It should not conjure up this image, but when I thought of oracle, I thought of this image first, okay? But an oracle in Hebrew, which is masa, quite literally means a burden. Or if it's used as a verb, literally carrying a burden. So Malachi, he's given a message, and this message is like a burden he's carrying, of which he must, must be relieved. But for what purpose? Where is he carrying this burden to? Well, it's the same place every Old Testament prophet is trying to carry their burden. And that is back to the covenant. The role of every prophet is to be used by God to turn people back to the covenant. God's covenant with his people. Now, we'll spend an entire sermon on this idea of covenant because it's important. Uh, But for now, the basic idea is that a covenant is like a treaty or a contract between two parties, usually unequal parties. And certainly unequal is the case here because God is initiating a covenant. He has initiated a covenant with his people to love them, to care for them, to provide for them, to give them good land to plant on, etc. He fulfills his end, but his people fail to live up to their end of the deal. This is important to grasp because most people think, what do they think about a prophet? What do most of us think about? When we think of prophet, we think of what? 
future, right? Foretelling the future. But you may not know that less than 1%, less than 1% of Old Testament prophecy is predictive of anything far into the future. Less than 1% is predictive of anything far into the future. It's either all about now or a warning about something that's just about to happen, all right? But usually it's all about now. Because a prophet's main job is as a covenant enforcer. Covenant enforcer, right? To bring the heavy, all right? You can kind of think of him, he's like, the, uh, he's like an enforcer for a mafia boss, okay? All right, with God being the benevolent mafia boss. He loves you, wants to take care of you, etc. All right, you're not living up to your end of the deal. Here comes, uh, you know, Fat Tony, i.e. Malachi, coming by your door. Right, I'm just reminding you about your covenant responses. Right, so he's sending these people to remind them, I love you, I care for you, come back to me. To kick their backsides, their bunkies, back towards the covenant. All right? That was for you, Achaemenians out there. I learned that word this week. I wanted to use it. All right, you see, you see prophets. <laughs> sorry. Prophets rarely invented. They rarely invented. Mostly, they reminded. They reminded. They didn't invent new stuff. They were bringing back, people back to the covenant. They reminded. But here's the cool thing. While the content wasn't necessarily really new, prophets used different, fresh ways of communicating that content to shake people, right? Shake them out of their slumber and get them back towards the covenant. So for instance, check this out. You got a guy named Ezekiel. Ezekiel lied on one of his sides for 390 days. He just got down... In the middle of the city, at the gates of the city, lie down on the side like this. 390 days, alright, to represent the number of years that Israel would be punished because of failing to live up to their covenant obligations. Then, 390 days, imagine, like he just curved his spine for Jesus, alright, for Christ, that's suffering. Then turned around, and for 40 more days, sorry you have to look at my backside, uh, he lied on his side for Judah, alright, for all the years, they would be punished. Wow, that... Could you imagine doing that? Basically for a total of 430 days. Right? No mattress. But he did it in a way that people would never forget. You would never forget this man as they stepped over him on their way to work. To remind them, come back to me. Come back to me. Did I ruin my mic by doing that? Okay, good. <laughs> All right. All right. How about someone else? Hosea. God calls Hosea to marry a woman whom he knows ahead of time will be an unfaithful prostitute. All right, now imagine this. All right. God, I will do whatever you wish. Just use me, Lord. Okay, I'll use you. Here's what you got to do. You got to marry someone. Oh, that's great. I've always wanted to be married. Okay, you're going to marry a woman who's going to prostitute herself. Whoa, wait a minute. That is, wow, I, I don't think any pastor recommends that in marriage counseling, right? <laughs> like I usually say, look, uh, if you're thinking about doing this, I'm gonna, let's, let's postpone the wedding, all right? Seriously, let's talk some more. Mary's woman, he knows ahead of time, will be in a faithful prostitute. And God calls him to do it to demonstrate how Israel 
as unfaithful to him and his covenant. Israel is his bride, and she has prostituted herself, been unfaithful. Imagine that scene. People are like, look, hey, Hosea, look what your wife's doing. Guess what? God told me to do it. And you know what that's a picture of? It's a picture of us. Man, you don't forget that. And here in Malachi, it's a press conference. It engages in some questions and answers. Shaking us out of our slumber. Who here could use a little shaking out of their spiritual slumber? Be honest, it's okay. I could. All right, few of us, few of us, others. Oh, I'm okay. You reach across. Reach across to your neighbor. Shake them out of their slumber right now. Come on, go ahead. Go ahead, shake them. There you go. You don't want Wayne Morgan shaking you, though. I'm telling you, that's going to hurt. Some people, he's a big guy. He'll hurt you. All right. So reason number one, why Malachi? Some of us could use a good shaking out of our spiritual slumber. So we have this message that will give us a jolt. Whose message is it? We're told in verse 1, it is the Lord's message to Israel. Right? Yahweh's message to Israel. In this book, the dominant name for Yahweh throughout the book of Malachi is the Lord of hosts. We're going to see it again. You're going to see it in the first few verses uh, here in, uh, it says in verse 4. Lord of hosts. It's meant to encourage people. God uses his name to encourage people to rely on him. To depend on him. You see, Malachi was written during an important time in the history of Judah and Israel. About 50 years after they returned. So it's about five decades after they returned from their 40 straight years of captivity. 40 straight years of their predicted covenant punishment in this place called Babylon. It's been, it's been 50 years. When they returned, you know, they did things like fortify cities. They rebuilt the wall in the capital to make it safe. They rebuilt the temple so they could worship. But, slowly, they started to marry people of different faiths, different religions. The priests became corrupt. And they started to neglect the marginalized. They started to neglect the, the alien, the fatherless, the widow the poor. So at the time of Judah's, or excuse me, the time of Malachi's writing, Israel wasn't even a territory. And Judah was the size of a postage stamp. Alright? Basically Judah was about 20 miles long, 30 miles wide. Right? With nations on every side. And ruled by a faraway Persian king who basically really didn't even give a crud what really happened to them. Through the Lord of hosts, God was reminding his people that his invisible protection was far greater than any earthly protection they could have. Now think about Cayman, right? Tiny. We're tiny. We were a postage stamp in the waters of the West Indies. Once prosperous, still to some extent are, for sure. And certainly once full of hope. As with Judah, God often authors great histories in small places. Small, humble places like ours, 
that rely on his protection and nothing else, right? So reason number two, great histories are often formed in small places with little protection. A place like ours. Reason number three, reading through this book is going to encourage us to read all of God's Word because it's all one sermon, right? I mentioned before, some of us have only ventured to the book of Malachi because we're trying to turn to Matthew and like, oh, hey, that's interesting, Malachi. Let me get back in the New Testament. <laughs> Let's hurry, right? But all of God's Word is inspired and all of it points to the Savior, Savior the Rescuer, Jesus Christ. Luke 24. In Luke 24, we have this picture. There are two dudes who are walking along the road. It's after Jesus has risen from the dead, but he hasn't yet ascended into heaven. And people are talking about it, right? It's, it's all the talk around Jerusalem about this guy, Jesus. Two dudes are walking around the road talking about this, right? Talking about his death and resurrection. Jesus disguises himself, all right? And he joins in the conversation, you can imagine him asking, what are you guys talking about? And he notices, as they talk about his death and resurrection, they don't get it. They don't really understand why he died and there's rumors about the empty tomb. So this is what he says to them, Luke 24, 25 and 27. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Moses, meaning Genesis, right? Beginning with Genesis and going through the end, all the prophets. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Because all of it pointed to him. In the Old Testament specifically, all of God's word, either one, shows us the need for a rescuer, or two, points to the hope of a rescuer. So they're going to point to the need of a rescuer, or give us the hope of a rescuer. So it encourages our faith to see an example of human beings who are trying but failing to live according to the deal according to the covenant with God. I was just reading recently um, about Elijah. Right? We think about this guy Elijah, and if you've gone through Sunday school, you know who this guy is. He's a great man. Great man of faith. Taken up to be with the Lord. But the more I read, the more I realized, one, this guy, he was very reluctant. Very reluctant to anoint a king. In fact, he didn't fulfill his obligations. When God told him to anoint a king, he didn't. He was very reluctant to bring in a successor. And wasn't overly supportive of Elisha. And he ended his life kind of in a funk, on a down note. But no matter, God used this man tremendously. It reminds us, we all fall short and in need of great mercy. And it's not about our great accomplishments. It's about what he does through us. So we see these real life examples of failing to live up according to the deal. And we're reminded of promises that point to Jesus. And characters that foreshadow Jesus. Beautiful in the Old Testament. Rich. Malachi in particular bridges the Old Testament and the New Testament very nicely. It talks about priests that relate to our role as, a, as priesthood of believers. We are a priesthood of believers. Alright? It talks about ushering in this new covenant starting with John the Baptist. And it gives us this glorious picture of the resurrection of the saints.
So that's reason three. Reason four, why Malachi? Small book, many issues. All right, check this out. Here are some of the issues we're going to go through. How do I know God loves me and why me? What sort of life honors God? The importance of knowing how to faithfully communicate truth to others. What's the root cause of relational conflict? How to protect your marriage? How do I be single yet still love marriage? Interesting. Justice in the world today. Money and giving. Why do things go so well for jerks and slime bags but my life is in the crapper? Right? I will go through all of these. These are all relevant issues, right? These are things that touch our lives. I mean, this is like, like a year-end Dr. Phil highlight show, right? <laughs> all in the book of Malachi. Small book, many issues. Alright, last reason, number five. Why Malachi? We get these raw, legitimate disputes between God and man. Between the Almighty God and people like us. But the questioning, the disputing, is not sort of existential in nature. It's not things like, how does God prove his existence? Or, if God is good, why does evil exist? Now granted, those are really good questions. They're just not the ones addressed or asked here in Malachi. These questions here are of the raw sort. You know what I mean? Sort of the open wound sort. They're the questions of those who at one time worshipped God with zeal. They grew up in a family of believers. They'd experienced hope and prosperity. But now they've fallen on hard times. And the questions have grown quite personal. Our God is a big God who, if you're going to reckon, He wants you to reckon with Him. William Sapphire uh, wrote a great political book using the example of Job. He called it The First Dissident. Which I love that title, The First Dissident. Anyway, he says this. If the book of Job reaches across two and a half millennia to teach anything to men and women who consider themselves normal, decent human beings, it is this. Human beings are sure to wander into ignorance and to fall into error. And it is better, more righteous in the eyes of God, for them to react by questioning rather than mere accepting. Confronted with inexplicable injustice, it is better to be irate than resigned. And I would say to that, yes and amen. But, friends, understand that while God wants that, He wants you to be authentic, real, your, your truest self, even in complaints and hard questions you throw His way. Don't expect Him to be like your friendly family doctor, right? Who treats an over-anxious patient. Or don't expect him to be like a school teacher with an over-eager pupil. Right? Expect him to respond like a God. A God of all the universe. A God who also loves us enough to deal with us. You know what I mean? 
My family doctor doesn't ask me too many hard things. My elementary school teacher didn't ask about what's going on in your household at home. God gets all up in that. So you ask, be real with God. But know he's going to be real with you because he loves you. There's this uh, humorous, in a dark comedy sort of way, this humorous moment in Jeremiah. Because in the book of Jeremiah, the people were asking, what, what's God saying? What's God saying? And specifically, they were asking, what's the burden of the Lord? In Jeremiah 23, verse 33, Jeremiah, or God tells Jeremiah to say, you want to know what's the burden? You. <laughs> you are the burden. In other words, if you go to God and you ask him a real question, God, what's with all this injustice that I see around me and in my own life? Don't be surprised if God says, yes. Yes, I see the injustice. I see something. It's about five foot eight. Chestnut hair, enjoys Everton football, drives a Mitsubishi Gallant, and prefers Sudoku to reading. Wait a minute. That's me. <laughs> I'm the problem? Don't be surprised if God lovingly points the finger. This is why we created this pop art image to, reckon, to sort of uh, represent our series. This pop art image of this woman who has this look like, who? Me? Right? It's almost comical. Like she made an accusation but never thought that she might be the problem. Let's pray. Lord, today, this week, and these coming months, help us not be afraid to ask you the real question and to make the raw complaint. But help us also brace ourselves for a God to respond. At times, Lord, you will point the finger back at us. At other times, you'll show us a hard road that we need to travel. But through Christ, you have shown that you are a gracious God. So while you may and you will humble us, we can receive it because you love us. And you always act, not only for your glory, but also for our good. Lord, we thank you for that. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.